We are back. Welcome to another episode of More Than a Title. I'm your host, as usual, Jared Thomas. Before we begin with this special episode, because you guys can probably hear it in my voice, I'm excited. I can't wait to get going. But, uh, you know, I want to thank everybody for, you know, all the support. We're growing every week. Today, the Spotify wrap-up came out, and our statistics on Spotify was amazing. So I just want to thank everybody for that. We love you guys, and, uh, and let's get to it. So let's get into the introduction. So... Our first guest today, we have two special guests, but our first guest today has over 20 years of experience under her belt, has worked at companies such as Arnold Worldwide and Harvest Edge as a creative director, executive creative director, and is also known for being the creator of Flow from Progressive. And today she's the chief brand officer at The Grist, partnering with our second guest, who also has 20 years of experience in the marketing industry and has had several roles over various um, brands, been director, president, CBO, CMO, and is currently the CEO of The Grist, which is a Boston ad agency where Mary and Ted work together. So let's introduce Mary Webb and Ted Chuleta. I hope I said it right, Ted. I think I messed up. Thank you both. I'm like so excited to have you both here. Um, I've been a fan of yours, Mary, for so long. Um, I will set the story offline, but um, I first met Mary when I was working at Con Lines. And for those who aren't familiar with it, it is the Festival of Creativity. It's all about branding. How do you use your creative inspiration or your works in order to increase the brand, increase revenue, and things like that? And I remember connecting with Mary on LinkedIn, and I saw a creator of Flow from Progressive. I'm like, how do you do that? What, what what goes through your mind? Like, how does that feel? And so I'm excited to hear both your stories. And if you want, let's just let's just start at the top. Like how, how you both met and uh, how we got to the, the partnership we see today. Yeah, well, we um, we both, you know, have started out at probably different places, but we both ended up at some point at Arnold. Um, it wasn't my first gig. It might have been yours, Ted, was it? Second, yep. Arnold, Arnold Worldwide in Boston. Second. Yep. There you go, yep. That's right. Arnold Worldwide in Boston. And, um, you know, I was actually, I don't think I hired Ted, but I was his boss. And uh, it was very brutal, very cruel. It was. <laughs> it was. It was tough. And uh, we just had a blast working together. And, uh, you know, and so when Ted... Uh, decided to go pursue, pursue his dreams and leave the agency. You know, I was sort of sad and uh, he was too. And we said to each other, someday we're going to work together again. And I've got to uh, hand it to Ted that he made sure that happened. He really did. You know how you have people in your life who just always stay connected? Absolutely. And uh, Ted's one of those guys. I mean, he gets all the credit. He would just call me. Um, you know, every couple of months, all throughout the year. Like a stalker, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was a little bit of a stalker. Yeah. Um, but it was all it was all friendly, all nice. We were always best buddies. And um, we would just shoot the shit and say, you know, what's going on in your life? What's going on in mine? And for me, it was always I'm still at Arnold. <laughs> you know? um, I was in the Havas network for 20 over 20 years, uh, half the time at Arnold and half the time at Havas Edge. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Ted kept in touch and he kept 
harassing and beating me. No. Um, <laughs> and actually, when I reached the point uh, last summer, really, uh, where I w- had put in, an, you know, I had put 10 years at Arnold, 10 years at Havas Edge, and I was like, okay, it's time to move on. And Ted really has, uh, you know, which of course, I, I'd love to spend the bulk of the time talking about. He's written a book called Branding for Buyout. Mm. And, uh, you know, he'll tell the story, but it's really a genius idea that, um, and he can tell you how he came to it. But the idea is really marketing, you know, go, helping people who have grown businesses their entire careers yeah. and uh, they're ready to sell or they're planning on selling in the next three years or so. And who isn't? What? Who, who doesn't form a business and hope someday they'll sell it? Uh, but no one really has ever marketed to the buyer and helped the seller really build their brand and increase the value of their business exponentially Absolutely. before they go to sell it. And, um, and no one really markets to the person who's gonna, who could potentially buy it. So uh, Ted saw that, that space, that white space in the marketing area, and uh, he has totally exploited it um, in such a way that he certainly convinced me that this is the future. Um, I think uh, it's a brilliant idea. No one is doing it. And um, the grist is doing it in a way that is turning people, what would be people's fortunes by selling their business at the end of their career to mega fortunes. Um, We really do. We have, you know, proof that we can increase the value of your business in an amazing way where we're not going to give away all our secrets, but um, (laughs) there is a a methodology to it. We've partnered with investment, an investment banker. um, And, uh, you know, I'm really psyched uh, at the opportunity to work with Ted again, number one, but to be sort of on the cutting edge of an area of business that is brand new. Yeah, it's so many interesting things you said about that, Mary, because one, Ted, so you're early on the personal branding. So that is brilliant. So off camera, we were saying, Mary, I was telling um, Ted similar story, right? Like I was a sales guy up and down, good quarters, bad quarters, sending a thousand emails out. I might get one email response from you, Mary, and you just took it (laughs) as you're like, you know, I got 12 o'clock free on Friday. Let me see what Jared's talking about. It's kind of a pity conversation. You're not ready to buy. And I'm like, how can I scale what I'm doing? So let me just be myself. Let me tell my story. I was 20 years old, working at Dallas BBQ, smelling like ribs. And I had my first kid on the way. And what the hell? That's not bad smelling like ribs. No, I was tasty. I really smelled yummy. But it was, (laughs) but that's another story. (laughs) But, um, and then that's what took off online. So I love the fact that you thought that. And you know, what's really interesting about what you said too, because you guys being branding experts, how difficult is it to apply what you use for your brand? Because it's one thing to market someone else's brand, but it's very difficult to market your baby. So I would love if you guys could talk about that. Sure, I'll, I'll take a crack at that one. Take because, a crack at that, yeah. because uh, I can tell you, I had mortal fear of marketing myself and yes. <laughs> uh, an idea that I was a little bit paranoid about. Um, but before I do, I'll just say that with one single interesting move by Mary, Mm-hmm. By saying creator of flow on her LinkedIn profile, 
I feel like that singular maneuver, that basic tactic is pretty powerful because yeah. what do you have in most LinkedIn profiles? Ted Schluter, Jarrett, someone's name, their title, what they've done. Mary decided to do something a little bit different. It's the first thing that you see and it sticks yeah. with you like glue. So I'll just so acknowledge because I could talk. Hey, if, you can't, if you can't market yourself, then you're in yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're the personal branding. If I'm picking up the question, correct, it's critical. Yeah. You have to apply attention to it and mature it and you have to put some work behind it. So, yeah. um, and, and just one other thing is like, <clears throat> I do think as you, you know, said you're a solo entrepreneur and to all the other entrepreneurs out there, it is a family. Like we all have to take yeah. care of each other and there's people who do what they say and there are people who don't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's another just, I think, you know, serious uh, commitment that you have to live up to is doing what you say. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so, true. so the quick riff with me is I did, you know, find some white space and build around it for more than a decade now with this methodology called branding for buyout. And I was afraid to market it because I was afraid... Um, for a few reasons. One, there's sensitivity around companies that might be looking to sell where they don't want to acknowledge internally, let alone externally, that they're, they're getting ready to sell. So there's some confidentiality and discretion. But at the end of the day, most people want to prepare for an exit at some point in their future. So there's ways to get around that. And the other, I was worried about competition and poaching. <laughs> and yeah. what I realized was I am the smallest, tiniest company on earth no one really cares at some level in terms of like hey you want to go try to take this go for it You've, i've got a decade of ip behind it and maturity behind it and the other thing was just fear of putting myself out there because i i had never self-promoted anything i had never put myself on camera i had never really tried to be the champion of an idea and put myself out there and we launched the book Oh my God, Mary, I'm losing track of time. Was uh, it in 2021? Probably about 18 months ago. Is yeah, that right? It was in calendar year 2021. Okay. Right. And all I've since then, and of course, since Mary came on board about the same time, it's been exponential growth. <laughs> <laughs> but since then, every day I, I tell myself, I wish I had done this 10 years ago. Oh, because one, competition is healthy. Two, the, the amount of value that we're unlocking is in the trillions of dollars. There's more than enough for the world. And three, if you don't apply some level of attention to your own brand and putting yourself out there, it's just that much harder to acquire new business. And we know for any business, the lifeblood of your company is new business. 24-7, never take your foot off the gas, never stop hustling. Because you know, I've been through four recessions as a business owner. Wow. including the great recession, the dot bomb, you name it, like bad, bad times. And sometimes you have to get really lean and really aggressive and you can never, ever, ever stop. So I'll pause there. And, and that's my riff. Now I love it. I, I needed to hear that. I needed to, I, I needed to hear that. That got me pumped. I'm like, damn. Yeah. Like, I, gotta, I gotta get on. I gotta get on the call right after this. Guys. Like, no, but, but what you said is it, so powerful, right? Like, so like the power of branding yourself. And I say that to myself every single day, if I was on LinkedIn, 
like really to be taking it serious the way I have now. Because I thought of LinkedIn uh, and really just social media. Remember back in the day, it was just like something you connect with somebody just to really verify if I'm selling to a human or if I can or anything like that. And now today is like when I started the branding, the community, I've told stories that are have hit Germany, France and all over the States. And just even think about yourself, Mary, like how I am with you. I was like, oh, my God, I'm talking to Mary. She created flow. And I'm like, whatever you ask me, I got whatever you need. I'm here for you. And then, but that's how powerful branding is, right? And that creates that relationship. And imagine if you do it in sales, guys. So that's why I'm always telling my sales counterparts, it's going to get tough, especially with this recession. You need to be lean. You need to figure out where your customers are and have them come to you. When they come to you, you have the leverage as a salesperson and as a, you know, and it creates just a, you don't have to convince somebody. You just, you're just helping at that point. And that's why I also say this, Jared, if I can pile on, I think there's an associative nature. It's almost like a magnet. Mm-hmm. You re- Well, from my selfish point of view, I not only knew that I wanted to work with Mary, I knew Mary could bring tremendous value and her reputation entering our brand enhances our enterprise value. Then subsequently, you reached out to Mary, connected Mary. Now we're on your podcast. Now all three of us are connected. And guess what? Now we're getting triple down exponential value on having a conversation to all of our constituencies. But we just went to, you know, one plus, you know, two equals N or whatever the formula is, (laughs) not the math guy. But we got an exponential return based on reaching out and networking. That's it. And then yeah. this is why it's powerful, everybody. That's gold right there. And, and I would love to, to bring it back to you too, Mary. Like, so in your early days, or, or you could just take us through early parts of your journey. Cause I, one, I think it's so iconic. I would love to know how you feel of creating something like Flow because there's only five good, like really good brands that do it really well. There's like the Jared from Subway, there's Jake from State Farm. You might throw in the Budweiser frog in there or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's Flow from Progressive. So I would love to know, like, you know, how you got into the creative space, um, what's your process, and just, yeah, just what, what, what is, you know, to, to now. I would love to hear it. Yeah, well, um, I, I I won't start at the very beginning. I actually worked at um, an a boss, another Boston agency called Hill Holiday before I um, came to Arnold, and uh, I was actually an internship in PR. I was in college at Arnold. That's how I got that gig, wow. and um, I just begged my way into a job as an assistant into the creative department. In fact. I actually told them that I'd work for free for three months if they'd hire me, and they did. Um, and uh, and I, then I got my portfolio together. I was trying to, you know, I was working as an assistant to all the creative directors, and people would be coming in to uh, interview for jobs. And I, I tell you, that was the most motivating thing in the world because I was so pissed off. Every time someone would come in and interview for a job, I'm like, that's my job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I finally got promoted. And then at, when I uh, moved over to Arnold um, and met Ted, and then Ted moved on, um, I was on the team that actually pitched Progressive. That's how I got on that account. And um, and actually, we the, uh, you know, insurance companies, they they just uh, they count on the fact that um, they need to be in the top three. When you go to buy car insurance, you're only going to look at three different 
you know, typically you're only going to look at three different companies and get three different bids. So yeah. if you're not in those top three, then you're screwed. And that was the case with Progressive when we went in there. And um, and now, of course, they often are in the top three. And that's how their business grew so quickly um, with that campaign. But uh the idea was really the whole idea about um, the flow campaign, which was really called the superstore in its original formation. And, um, you know, what it was, was really about buying insurance online. Um, remember, this is, you know, 12, 13 years ago. So the online, buy, online buying was still really a novelty. So we brought the idea of online buying to life. You know, it was almost like you could walk into uh, an Internet store and buy your insurance. And, uh, of course, you know, you could have a shopping cart walk around. And, and it also took the intangible and made it into something tangible. There were boxes on the shelf. And you walked in, you picked up your insurance. We showed people shopping and then they needed to walk up to a register and pay. We needed to hot cast someone for that role of who's going to run the register at Progressive Insurance. The online insurance company is what they were known as at that point. And uh, we cast Stephanie Courtney. Um, and we did what many agencies do um, when we do casting, especially when we're looking for someone with a sense of humor. We sort of call up people who are part of the Groundlings, which is an improvisation and sketch comedy theater in L.A. So that's where uh, Flo or uh, Stephanie Courtney was hanging out at that time. And we loved her. The client loved her and she got the part, obviously. Um, but she was super hesitant. Um, because she had just started uh, a gig on Mad Men as the switchboard operator. And uh, she said, oh, I don't know if I should take this role. And I said, don't, you know, my career is finally taking off. <laughs> and uh, I reassured her that she could still have her acting career because people wouldn't recognize her, you know. And we just stayed there that night and with hair and makeup and just made her look totally wacky. Her look has, you know, more modified since then. She had a huge bouffant and really ruby red lips. And, um, you know, she, she looked a little crazier than she does now. Uh, but um, that was really it. Um, you know, I, I, I have to say that, you know, I had this genius director, Jeffrey Fleissig. Um, he was the one who really brought the idea to life. And I also, you know, I... I created flow. But uh, then I hired this guy, Sean McBride, who is now actually the chief creative officer at Arnold. And he's really, you know, has evolved the campaign and made it fantastic. Um, so I got to give him tons of credit. Uh, he was pretty amazing. And um, so that's really where that was the uh, the origin of the campaign. That that. I'm getting, I have so many questions off of that, Mary. That's an amazing story. First of all, shout out to Stephanie. I know she's like, thank God I took that call, right? I know. Thank God. Like, it's just so crazy to me because I love hearing stories like that because how one decision can change so many people's lives and change an entire brand. So like, I'm curious too, because I'm used to that from the agency space. So when you win the contract and things like that happen, but what happens when the brand takes off? Is there any additional revenue? Like, or how do you feel when you see it today? Like, is there any additional revenue play there? Because me as, a, as somebody who's created this, right? 
they thought it was going to be a small shop. It actually changed the face of the brand. So how does you as a creator, is there a way to monetize that additionally? Uh, no, you know, Ted will tell sort of a similar story. I, you know, you really, as an ad agency, uh, you're really not getting credit for uh, financial credit, um, yeah. I yeah. say, for the work that you do. Um, you, they pay you, you know, uh, every brand pays you, whether you're on a retainer, you're on a project right. basis, you're getting paid for your ideas. And once you give that idea up to them, they own it. You don't get anything out of it. Um, and that's, you know, that is, as Ted referenced, that's why I can put, you know, creator of flow. I, you know, I want to get my, yeah. my, get something out of it. Absolutely. Um, but it really, it's still with Arnold, you know, um, it has uh, created employment for probably hundreds, if not thousands of people. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, there's that part of it. It has really grown the business, progressives business in such a way that it's um, made them a huge success. So all the people who get employed at progressive and I am, a person, you know, sort of, uh, I shouldn't say this is unusual for a creative person, but I am very focused on growing my clients' businesses and not as much on awards and that kind of thing. Impact. And that's why, yeah, Progressive for me was a real career changer for many reasons. I mean, I was working on a bunch of different accounts at the same time that I was working on Progressive. Uh, but I really liked the idea that I could wake up every morning and I'd have an email from Progressive that told me how the sales are doing based on each spot that was running. And I, every day I could say, OK, that one's doing well. That one's yep. not. Let's change this. Let's do that. So and cool. I, you sort of get addicted to that. Yeah. Um, kind of, uh, you know, so I really believe in, you know, you can build the business and a brand at the same time. And that's certainly what happened with Progressive. Um, and why I, you know, sort of made the move really after leaving Arnold um, to go to an agency that was really all D to C work, um, which is an area where there's lots of bad, bad work being done. Yeah. And I don't think it has to be ugly, awful work. It can be great work that really gets the results you need, but can still be great creative too. And uh, that's sort of been my passion uh, for the last 10 years. Yeah, I feel the same way about the B2B space. I feel like there's so so much yeah. creativity in that space. It's like, we all, we all do this. Somebody hits a home run, let's rinse, repeat it, let's replicate it. There's no authenticity and we're all doing the same thing. And there's no voice. Um, but, but one last question about the flow though, Mary, as yeah. a creative myself, right? When you hit that out the park, do you ever feel a sense when you work on brands and, and case or you know clients now? Do you try to replicate that? Do you ever have that in the back of your mind? You know, like, well, kind of like a musician you know, like trying to get a hit again. Like, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. When I was, you know, a big chunk of my career. Every time you go into a meeting, you'd have someone asking you, "Hey, can you do that Geico campaign? Can you do something like that Geico campaign?" And you I get a be lot like of Apple. Yeah, or we want to be like Apple. That was another one. 10,000 of those. Oh, my God. And you get asked that all the time. And I, I, you know, I, I think it has become sort of a can you give us a flow? And, uh, you know, we want a flow kind of campaign. And so I think it's, you know, basically, I think 
spokespeople kinds of campaigns, if they're done right, um, can be very sticky and very successful. And yeah, do I get asked to do that over and over again? Yeah. I am no longer, by the way, um, a creative. Um, I, I think, you know, Ted and I will always be creatives. We both yeah. started out as creatives. Right now, I'm chief brand officer. I am the one knocking on doors and making phone calls and sending emails and, yeah. um, you know, and trying to bring in more business. But our, we have this great, great, Dan Madsen is our chief creative officer at The Grist. And he's done this amazing campaign for Stanton Optical that is a character um, and it's a penguin and it's the funniest. He has this great campaign going. So we were asked to do a flow like campaign. You know, you can imagine that we get, I get asked that a lot, that question a lot. I love it. And, and intent for, for you too, man, well, what are, what are some creative works to you that, that what are some of your favorite ones or uh, creative works that you've worked on? And what is one that was the most challenging that maybe was like the last minute, you know, went over budget, you know, you had to hit the deadline. What, what's one of those? There's a lot there. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll gladly unpack it. But yes, before I do, I just want to go back to one point that Mary Ann, you made mm -hmm. was about value creation yeah. and mm -hmm. not just doing work for the sake of doing work. Mm. And I don't know if this is a true story or not, but I read it or heard it and I believe it to be true. So if George Lucas, the creator of Star Wars is listening, you know, give me a call. And <laughs> please, please, listen. Yeah. <laughs> but, but here's a guy who I think started by writing a comic book series of Star Wars and created this idea in this world, uh, multi-world universe, and then creates Star Wars, a movie like no one had ever created. And whenever it came out is in the early 70s, because I remember I was like four years old and we went as a family to see it at like midnight. And I barely remember it, but I had my, you know, Jawa T-shirt on the next day. But this guy <laughs> has created something so powerful, it circled the earth. But if the story's true, he wasn't standing to monetize on his idea because he had leveraged every resource, production company, director, movie, everything he had went into the movie. And what he was going to get out of it was not a huge financial return. Mm. But he, for the first time ever, demanded or negotiated exclusive rights to merchandise, which no one had ever done for a movie before. And the amount of money he made for merchandising, figurines and characters and whatnot from Star Wars. And don't get me wrong. I think George Lucas has done pretty well financially. But my point being is not everyone monetizes on the brilliance of their idea personally. Mm, yeah. Lori mentioned that she created Flow. Arnold's made lots of money and has a longstanding relationship with Progressive. And I'm sure it's mutually beneficial but the outsized value created is in the billions of dollars Absolutely. for progressive. Mm -hmm. Progressive, if you are, I'm arguing objectively because I don't work for either business, but I would argue that progressive got a really good deal. Oh, absolutely. Work that Mary did and the team that did in terms absolutely. of billions of dollars of value creation. Oh, absolutely. And the reason why I'm getting all fired up about this is in a lot of our industries, that gap exists. But mm -hmm. with brand, this branding for buyout, what we're doing for entrepreneurs who are selling their businesses, 
we are helping monetize their business and we are basing our financial comp, a part of it, on the outcome of the exit. Mm. And that's where you're really in its skin in the game to try to get to an end point. All right, so now I'm going to go back to your original question, Jared. I wish I don't know if um, uh, I, I when I was talking about monetizing and the frustration of being in an advertising agency and really, you know, not getting the payoff, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I, I wish Ted would tell his story of you know how he came to branding for bio. I, I will. I promise. Let me put put on pause just so I can answer Jared's question. It was a couple big challenges and some of the greatest creative work that you've been around or seen or or what have you. So I will use a personal example, and it goes way back to 2013. Mm. I had my first business. It's called Crunch Brands. And we got this opportunity to work on a, a company called Unreal Candy. Oh, yeah. Unreal Candy was a better for you knockoff of Snickers, Milky Way, uh, Three Musketeers, and M&Ms, but made with no chemicals. And the first thing most people are going to say, oh, my God, it's going to taste like butt. (laughs) It tastes awful. But I I can attest, it really didn't taste as good as those big ones that I mentioned, but it, it tasted pretty, pretty close, like meaning it was really good. And the fact that it had no chemicals was obviously novel. But this company was started by uh, an entrepreneur named Michael Bronner because his son had celiac disease and couldn't eat all the Halloween candy he went and harvested. And, you know, they had means and they said, we're going to go take on the candy industry and try to create chemical free candy. Massively huge idea. And their, their idea was to unjunk candy and ultimately unjunk the world. Mm. So I recently came back in touch with a guy named Mark Nardi, who's a genius writer in the Boston ad community. And another uh, person who worked on it, his name was Amelie Loyot, who is a fantastic art director and, and, a, and a whole ream of other people. But the short of it was that <clears throat> Unreal had a bunch of product that was likely going to expire because it, it didn't have a multi-year shelf life. Candy without chemicals mm-hmm. doesn't last as long. That's good. And the second highest candy consumption day of the year in the U.S. is Easter yeah, after that's... Halloween, of course. So to this day, this is one of my favorite things I've ever been a part of was this ragtag team of people working for me. <laughs> We're holed up in like a six by six cubicle in like a basement. No kid. It actually was on the third floor, but it felt like the basement. <laughs> and uh, the client's like, we don't have enough time. We only have 60 days before Easter. And I said, no way. We're not missing the window. Wow. Give us two weeks and we're going to come back to you with some ideas. Cause it was a really big opportunity for us. And lo and behold, this team comes up with this idea that the Easter bunny has an epiphany and realizes that he's been handing out candy filled with chemicals to all the children around the world for years and years. And he's he's almost suicidal with despair and misery because he's been basically poisoning kids. And he wants to go out out and apologize. And we don't have a lot of money. So this is like junkyard dog, Xeroxing tens of thousands of apology letters, I'm sorry, I've been a bad, bad bunny. 
And we got, um, because of Michael Bronner, um, his connections and the connections of the people we were working with, <clears throat> um, got access to Tom Brady, uh, New England Patriots quarterback, um, uh, Jack Dorsey, former founder. Buccaneers quarterback, by the way. Yeah, now, now Bucks quarterback. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Oak, uh, um, John Legend wrote and sang a song to the Easter Bunny in a New York, you know, bar called the Dead Rabbit of all things. Wow! And basically, it the work went viral. It it went it got on ESPN, and it took this tiny no name brand with very little dollars spent against the idea, and it proved that a genius idea done in a scrappy, highly digital fashion um, can, can change the game. Absolutely. And to this day, it's one of my favorite ideas and brands and case studies. USA Today declared it the best holiday advertisement of all time. That's and, insane. Uh, and it was just a really special moment. And you mentioned challenges. Oh dear Lord. I mean, <laughs> every minute of every day was a challenge, but we literally rolled out the sleeping bags and worked on it for probably 60 days straight nonstop. Wow. And remember, it's not just during the event. It's like pre, during and post Easter oh, yeah. opportunities. So there's a, there's a real ecosystem around it. Um, but that was probably one of my favorite, you know, and, you know, the thing about that, Ted, you know, you say that and I, you know, my other thing is, is that when you have a, a, an account like Progressive, who, um, you know, by the way, they buy and sell all their media in-house at Progressive. Hmm. So and their budgets are through the roof. Um, you know, Geico still, I think, outspends them, but they have huge yeah. budgets. So, you know, I always say if you've got budgets that huge, you could put it, you know, a someone standing there, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to give a bad example, but, you know, you could put any anything on TV and you put that kind of media weight behind it and it's going to stick. It's going to stick. The real yeah. challenge is when you don't have a big budget. And, you know, when people would come to, come to me now and say, I want progressive, it's like, do you have progressive money? Yeah. Because that's what you need to do a progressive ad. You know, you've got to have those kinds of media budgets. If not, then, you know, like Ted said, you got to get super creative and super yeah. scrappy. We at the Grist shoot a lot of our own stuff. And today we were shooting all together. We were shooting our uh, Christmas video. So we had quite a day today. Um, I did take off all the uh, costume, the Christmas sweater and everything. Me too. Well, but, well, you know, I mean, it's fun. You know, there's either end of the spectrum. They all require the creative process, which we're all in love with. Let's face it. We just yeah. love going through the thinking. The, you know, the idea generation is all of our loves. That's why we got into this business. Yeah. And the art and science of it. The art and science. I, I, I'm a student of the game and I love it. I just want to break down what you both said because it's, so, it's such a gem. But for the candy bar example, right, for the rabbit, this was a category creator. So that means there was no consumer yeah. education on this, right? So the level of creativity that you need in order for it to stick, the storytelling, all the stars have to align. And the way you guys have put that together and to make it stick like that for something that nobody knows about, right? Just off the creativity, I'm going to try it. I'm going to say, I'm going to take a bite and that's still revenue. So for anybody listening, 
that's the challenge, right? When you have the budget, it's easier to do because you can put the right resource. But when you have your back against the wall, when you're a small business owner and you have $500 and you're like, what do I do, right? That's when, you know, creativity and you don't need these big budgets. You just need one good moment and you need to connect with your customer. That's it. Yeah. Although we'll take the big budgets. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I also think you need people who are believers. Yeah. And like we had a be believers in Unreal. I remember John Burns, who was really in charge of the whole thing for Raptor consumer brands, yeah. believed in it, gave us the shot. We have clients today. You mentioned B2B technology. I want to give a shout out to this brand called GPS Track It and their CEO, Ed Montez. Just let our chief creative officer, Dan Madsen, completely humanize and disrupt what you would consider a typically very lame B2B technology around, you know, fleet, fleet tracking and management and field service technology. But these guys rewrote the book um, and just came at it in such a human, clever, interesting way that it's opening up the door to a new conversation because people are bored. They don't pay attention when they get hammered all day with the same, you know, generic yeah. uh, stuff. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's bug spray. So Absolutely. you got to have believers and people willing to take some risks if you're ever going to do something that gets on the map. That's it. That's it. And that and that applies to sales. It applies to beat it. applies to everything. I, I, I tell it. I was uh, just did a presentation two days ago. I had my first client. I was doing a LinkedIn workshop. Nice. And I was showing people how to do. Cool. Thank you. I was showing people how to do outreach, and they were like, "Yes, yeah. so I got a big meeting with this Fortune 500 company. The lady's last name happened to be Thomas. So instead of me just going after the, you know, hey, you know, this is what I do, I, I just said, hey, what's up, Cuzzo? When, uh, <laughs> when, when the bar, it'd be really cool if you are related. If you are, you got to take this meeting. And it was like, <laughs> there. And then we closed the, like, things like that is just being creative, being yourself, right? It's all about the relationship. You got to be different. Yeah. If I try to be you, and I'm just a. You know what, though, let me ask you this, Jared, because I yeah. think this is true. I think it takes a long time in business, especially if you're doing new business. Mm -hmm. If you're a hunter, if you're a networker. Yeah. It takes a long time to realize that your secret weapon is being your most authentic yeah. self. Mm. And you almost have to like retrain your brain to say yeah. in a professional setting and knowing that you need to sell something, a product service yourself. Yeah. But the best way to win is by being the best version of yourself. It's almost like mental jujitsu, but when you can do that comfortable, as comfortable as the three of us are on the phone, it's mm -hmm. what makes it fun and cool and interesting and like makes people connect. That's but it. it's hard to do. It's so hard. Uh, I, it took me 10 years. Yeah. I literally, it took me to Minimum. be in my career when I was like, I tried it every single way. I've tried every single way. I said it the way you guys want to be, the way you did. I, I listened to your training. And then when I just stopped with the button ups and stuff, and literally I just, I was in a pandemic. We're like, I'm tired, man. I'm just, I'm glad I'm showing up on the computer. I don't care. I'm just going to be comfortable and I'm going to be myself. And then sales went through yeah. the roof. That's so like, crap. And, and that's why I, and Charles, shout out to Charles. He's actually one of my people that um, I talked to early in the personal branding journey and he he's blowing up as well. So it just makes life easier. Be yourself because then you find your tribe. You find who, who wants to be right. with you and you know what you're going to get out of me. You also started the meeting and the podcast and everything just by saying thank you to us. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Thank you to you. <laughs> and then we had like a thank you battle and a gratitude battle. But that stuff means a lot, too, because I think most people don't really mean it or since. Are, yeah, are I mean, it's also I always find it's great 
um, you know, I always found friendships in business too. Absolutely. Uh, you know, become friends with your clients. And, you know, I guess, you know, so when I say that to people, I think some people are like, I'm not going to be friends with my client. But it's like, I, <laughs> I, I've always enjoyed, I genuinely, you know, love my clients. You yeah. know, of course, we've all had difficult clients. Yeah, there's some jerks in there. On, yeah. the, on the whole, if they, you know, if we connect, on a human level, and then we're going to get along well, and it's going to be easier to work together. I'm going to be able to sell better work because we're friends, and they're going to want to, you know, spend time with me, and therefore we can increase the level of business we're doing together. So I think it is, and, and that is a genuine thing. You know, that I really do love my clients and I like hanging out with them and I enjoy them. That's it. But the problem is, as sellers, we're taught to be transactional. Yep. And yeah. that's the problem. So when I was always told and taught, it's like I always had a great if I knew you, if I spoke to you on the phone, if you came into the office or something like that, we we hit it off. Right. But then how do you scale that and how do you do those things? And it's just like you think of the transaction. You see your I see Ted's name in Zoom info. He's a lead. He's a prospect. No, he's a person. He's a dad. He's a right. brother. He's a, you know what I mean? That's the misconception with B2B tech advertising. Everyone goes, oh, my God, it's B2B tech. There is no better place to be human because it's a one-to-one human-to-human sale, no matter how technical. And a lot of marketers come up through an engineering background in B2B tech and therefore default to feeds and speeds and technical mumbo jumbo, which is great when you're bottom funnel, like, like trying to get to the technical stuff, but at the hook, at the top level, you got to hook people with something human and emotional. Otherwise they're just going to blow right by it. That's it. That's it. That's what, that's what you connect to. And that's the problem with, so like, I, I even gave an idea. I would look like, I'm, so I was talking to an agency the other day, right? They were like, yeah, what can we do to, to enhance our brand as an agency? I said, you know what? You know, one of the biggest or most watched shows on Netflix is The Office. Yeah. You have an office, you have a camera, you have ring lights. So imagine if you just put up a camera, just have it going. The laughs, the jokes you guys have in the office, uh, the little, you know, high five, all those things. It right. And you coming up with the with the Christmas party ideas. Who's going to do this? Who's going to get what? You ran and you got to ran into traffic, but you got a meeting at 12. And now you know me and you, you relate to it. And now I want to do business with Ted. I want to do business with Mary, Jared. I want to go get a beer with these guys and this and that. And that it means something. So, guys, think creative when you're going into this recession, because if you don't, it's going to be really difficult. Would you want a conversation like how we are now? Or do you want to have to sell for six months and get the runaround? Yeah. And, and don't forget that there is no mercy in life. No. You always have to hustle. I read this. I read probably way too much then. <laughs> it's a good thing. Always read. But I read this proverb at one time. It's about the empty fireplace. How everyone sits and looks at the empty fireplace and wishes they were warm. They don't realize they have to go out in the woods, chop down the tree, split the wood, haul it back to the house, light it, stay warm for a few hours, and then go back and do it the next day the rest of your life. So then they call it work for a reason. Like you should choose if you can, if you're lucky enough, like we all are, to actually yeah. like if not love what you do. But mm. it's not easy and you can you you have to show up every day. For your family, for your kids, for your loved ones, for yourself, whatever. Do not, and there'll be plenty of down days, but just realize 
there is no stopping. You have to keep going all the time. Give yourself a break. Don't burn out. But like, that's the game. You have to enjoy what you do and realize it never ends. Game doesn't end. And yeah. I, I, I love that. I, I would love to ask you guys. I know we're past the 40 minute mark. We're having fun and time's going. But uh, like, so what, what are what are some things that get you guys excited right now for the Grizz? And, and what are some of the plans? Um, we'd love to, you know, definitely gonna keep an eye out for you guys. But what are what are some things that get you excited? You well, know? Right, right now, Ted and I have a flight in the morning out, oh. to, uh, out to L.A. Uh, at dawn's crack tomorrow. Safe and, uh, yeah, we don't do a lot of traveling, but we happen to have a there. You know, the agency has a shoot to do out there, so we'll uh, stop by the shoot and um, do that. But we're also meeting with our investment banking partner um, and meeting with other people out in LA just to you know continue to. Uh, work, work, work over the weekend, actually, we're meeting with a bunch of people. And I spent the last 10 years out in LA. So I'm going to get the chance to visit some of my friends too. A little sun in the, I mean, fun in the sun, nothing wrong with that and handling biz, right? But I know that's not, uh, that's literally what we're up to. to my, yeah. but, uh, I'll pile uh, on with my favorite. Oh, sorry, Mary, go ahead. No, no, I was saying I'll let Ted answer. I was just going to say my fadeaway is I'm totally fired up about 2023. So part of us meeting um, with our partner, Eric Coonrod at Integral Capital Partners, the investment bank is planning what we're doing as a partnership in 2023. And uh, Mary and I are also planning just 2023 goals around branding for buyout, around the next book, branding for IPO, and a whole bunch of other projects that we think are a new way to create value and not your typical kind of, I always say this marketing and branding has always existed to sell more product service or technology to a customer. That's what we've always been in business to do. Branding for buyout. That's still true, but there's a new target audience, which is the buyer, which is a whole different game. So we're really focused on two sides, doing great marketing, increasing value, creating value for clients, with established brands that have no desire to sell and brands that are either uh, approaching a sale or uh, a couple of years out from an IPO. Those are what we're aiming at. That's what we're hunting and having a blast doing it. We absolutely, and getting to work with Mary and our, you know, that, yeah, we started there and I was going to say that we're very lucky. We, I think we know that, um, that we get to work together. We've got, I'm looking out here at uh, the office. I'm sitting in Ted's office, but it's a glass front. And, you know, all the people who work here, they're just real. We have a blast. They're great people. Um, And we have fun together. And everybody, you know, is out arm in arm wanting to accomplish the same thing. And Ted is a spark plug. I mean, he is, you know, he's probably exhausted right now but we i'm actually sitting on a beanbag in my son's room because i got kicked out of the rest of the house (laughs) you do what you got to do anyway ted is a you know he's an energy guy so if ever i'm feeling like god i don't know if i can do it again today i just call ted ted's like let's go do it what are we doing i could tell and i'm the same way and i I love it and i could just tell i hate the word because it's a buzzword but synergy you could just tell that you guys genuinely enjoy being around each other i could feel it on the conversation damn it has me saying i want to let me get an office space i'm ready i'm ready to come over there guys but i just want to say to both of you you're welcome anytime yeah please do. and same same if you i told ted offline 
please, if you're in New York, I offer this to everybody. If you're in New York, let me know. Lunch on me. I would love to hang out with you guys and just pick your brains because I really enjoyed this conversation. And I'm certainly rooting for you both. Um, I'm definitely be, I'm going to buy the book as well. I need your autograph, Ted. So I would love okay, that. I'm going to you in New York. Please. And uh, for everybody listening, all the comments, Jay, Charles, uh, the Facebook, YouTube team, Thank you, guys. We love you. Uh, we've got another episode in two weeks. It's actually the last of the season with Paxton Baker, who is the chairman of the National Washington Nationals. So it's going to be a really oh, cool, cool story of, like, yeah. how did you ascend to that and being ownership? What are those challenges like? So it's going to be a really, really cool story. And I'm just like, so excited for the journey. And um, I'm glad to call you guys friends now. So I appreciate you both. Thank right you, Jared. Thank you very much, Jared. Love it. Love it. So definitely talk to you guys soon. And thank you guys for another great episode of More Than a Title. We will see you guys next week. And I'm your host, Jared Thomas. See you guys soon.